Hi, everybody. Welcome to the CFO Circle podcast powered by High Radius. This is Madhurima Gupta, your host. And today I have with me a very special guest with whom I'm going to talk about how CFO's office should deal with inflation and prepare for it. Now, before we get started, uh, you know, a couple of housekeeping notes. Right. So according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, inflation accelerated further in May of this year with prices rising about 8.6% from last year uh, for the fastest increase since December of 1981. And to provide some perspective, the federal bank targets an inflation rate of 2% for stable and healthy economy. Now, 96% of global economists uh, this year said that they expect US to face high or a very high level of inflation for the rest of the year. And this is as per a WEF report. The previously anticipated price increases most likely will last longer than was expected given the pandemic is still not out of the picture. So on that note, how can the CFO's office and their teams gear up for inflation? Let's get the answers for it from Jack McCullough. Hi, Jack. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I've been looking forward to this for a while. I am so excited to have you as well, and I'm looking forward to a great conversation. So before we get started, Jack, I'm going to quickly, uh, you know, tell um, a little bit about you to to our listeners and viewers. Uh, So Jack is recognized as a thought leader in the world of financial leadership with a career that has included CFO positions at 26 different companies. He founded the CFO Leadership Council, a global organization that is dedicated to empowering senior financial executives through professional development programs and peer networking. His expertise encompasses strategy, operations, finance, human resources, sales and marketing. And over the years, he has successfully guided and empowered dozens of up and coming CFOs on their paths. So on that note, I feel there's nobody better to help understand how should CFO's office be dealing with inflations today. So Jack, uh, I wanted to understand from you, how do you think inflation is impacting businesses today, especially mid-market CFO's offices that are still recovering from pandemic? Yeah, right. The timing couldn't be very much worse, right? You're just coming out of the pandemic and then you're, you're dealing with a slowing economy and inflation. And it's it's difficult. I jokingly say when people ask me that they should ask my parents because, you know, my parents and their generation, it, inflation was just kind of a normal thing, both for families and for businesses and people know how to deal with it. But, you know, for the most part, we're kind of figuring this out as we go. And in terms of how they're dealing with it, I think it's probably more difficult on some of those middle market companies you mentioned because they have less clout with both their suppliers and customers. You know, they're not, uh, you know, if, if you're a global Fortune 50 type of company, you can dictate terms to a certain degree the way that maybe a $100 million company cannot by annual revenue. So, you know, it's, it's an absolute game changer. Uh, and it's very difficult to predict. And there's not even that many people you can turn to who are legitimate experts in inflation because very few people have dealt with it on, in, within the course of their careers. And as CFOs watch inflation numbers rise month after month, and uh, so I'm sure the intensity of the concerns also rise the same way. Um, do you think that CFOs are taking a watch and worry approach? Uh, or is that something that you agree with? Or what would be your advised approach? I believe that, and you know, who knows, maybe in 90 days, we'll look back and say, oops, we had that wrong. Inflation was not a big deal after all. I don't think so. 
And I, I think a wait and see type of approach is definitely not the right approach right now. I, I think CFOs need to get ahead of this. And the first step they can do that is to, you know, first of all, understand it and, you know, understand what is inflation, how does it impact my particular business? And then, you know, based upon that, the next step I think is to educate the rest of your company. You've got to be a CFO. You probably have a very, very cross-functional type of job. So, and depending upon what your business is, but you need to be meeting regularly with your salespeople and coming up with pricing strategies and figuring out, okay, you know, what, you know, how much can we raise prices? How much do we have to, how do we sell this to our prime customers? At the same time, you've got to be talking to people again, depending upon the business, because some are simpler than others. You need to go to people who are involved with the, the supply chain. Those people who are purchasing the materials for the products that you manufacture and sell, or you, you know, whatever it is that you do. And, you know, be, be talking with them, making sure that, you know, they're, they're aware that the prices might go up, make sure that they have a purchasing strategy. Do we buy in bulk now in, in case, you know, these things run out of raw materials or the prices get catastrophic? Or do we just sort of continue our patterns and figure it out as we go? You know, and again, each situation is different. So it's truly all encompassing. And I didn't even get into the fact that your, your employees, the most valuable uh, resource and in most companies, the most expensive as well, you know, they're dealing with this too, and you definitely have to take care of them. Absolutely. And if you talk about cash flow, and given that with inflation, to maintain your inventories, everything that you need to manage, cash flow definitely plays a huge and vital role. So, how vital is it for business to shore up cash flow so you can, uh, so they can, you know, withstand the expected and uh, unexpected challenges that may come their way? Yeah, it's a critical thing, right? I mean, you know, gap accounting is is great, um, but you know, cash flow is the name of the game in times like these, and they just um, they need to do a better job of managing it. Uh, you know, in the in the past, a, a lot of CFOs they didn't worry too much if accounts receivable were getting old, you know, because they they knew that they were going to eventually catch it, and you know they were doing so well, you know, it, it was kind of a not a bad problem to have necessarily. But now you do have to you know take a more proactive yet reasonable approach to managing accounts receivable. And again, if you're a company that has inventory, you need to better do a better job of managing that. But it's a risk. You know, do you spend a lot in buying inventory now because of supply, potential supply and state shortages? Well, that ties up your cash. You know, you, it's not like your supply is just going to send you the inventory and expect you not to pay for it on good terms. So it's a real difficult uh, juggling act to master, to say the least. Absolutely. And I totally agree. A high inflation rate essentially means that your receivables are decreasing in value of the same rate as if, um, you know, you were paying extra interest. So uh, what would your advice be for CFO's office to ensure that they are collecting receivables timely to be less impacted by inflation? Sure. And, you know, I, I think it's all about communication with your customers and your salespeople, because, you know, say you've got a you, you have a customer that, you know, 15, 20 year relationship and that customer's experiencing cash flow problems, you know, that probably they're going to figure it out within a year or maybe just the circumstantial change them. You don't want to be that just pay me, shut up and, and give me the money type of person. You, you don't want to burn that bridge and end a 15 year relationship for short term inflationary problem. So it's really a matter of just kind of working with them, getting an understanding of what their financial position is, 
and you know treating them as a partner more than anything getting through the high inflation period together okay do you need an extra 10 days i can live with that but you, you got to give my me your word that when 10 days comes you're not going to ask for another 10 days that mm -hmm. type of thing and by the way you can take the same approach on the other side of the transaction too so it, it's largely a lot of communication um you know credit checks again i know people that used to never do credit checks uh they didn't care they, they'll pay for it you know we'll get them to pay for it but you know now uh, you need to do some credit checks and find out you know do these people pay on time are they reliable do they have a history of late payment and that sort of thing so that's sort of become back in vogue and it's it's not even so much that they're not going to pay it but you know if your standard terms of 30 and people are paying 75 90 you better know that and you know um you just mentioned that credit checks is not something that a lot of companies do in fact uh, there's a report that we did uh high radius did about uh, you know early this year where we uh, wanted to find out what growth priorities for mid-market cfo offices are uh, when it comes to accounts receivables specifically right so um interestingly Credit is not one of the priorities. Credit check, credit uh, automation is not one of the priorities for majority of CFOs that we surveyed. And we surveyed roughly 140 um, exec level members of CFO's office at different locations across North America. Um, why do you think, or in your experience, why does credit check, credit automation take a back seat at CFO's office? It is changing, but I think, you know, I, I think we've been enjoying basically decades of prosperity at least in the united states i mean we, we our worst major struggle was uh you know the late 1970s mm -hmm. uh we had a brief recession in 2008 and and you know that the dot-com crash around 2002 but by and large the economic downturns have not really been terribly problematic based upon historical standards we, you know clearly we've had you know nothing even remotely like the great depression uh, so I do think it's one of those things, you know, we're growing, we're happy, we're making a living. <clears throat> you know, it doesn't matter if they pay in 36 days versus paying in 62 days. Mm -hmm. And it almost doesn't matter if we lose one or 2% of our customers because they don't pay. You, you know, it, it's under normal times and certainly under, you know, a time like right now, it's not a very, uh, you know, practical way to run a business. So you get sort of developing those old school skills of, hey, let's do a credit check and you know, do it on everybody. One person told me they did a credit check on, um, I'm going to say it was Ford Motor Company. And, um, you know, what the person at Ford just said, we pay everybody in 60 to 75 days. Mm -hmm. He's like, you know, we're 100%, we're going to pay you in that time range, but don't expect us to do it faster because we won't. Mm -hmm. And then you just make the gamble. You know, Ford Motor Company's company, obviously, most of us would like to, to sell to. So, um, and it might not have been Ford. I don't mean to bring them into it. It was one of the big motor companies. And so you just make that decision. Can you live with that? And if you can, then you just sort of plan for that, you know? So, uh, you know, you just sort of understand the realities of your customers and potential customers, and then just make smart business decisions based upon that. And since you're talking so much about accounts receivable, I think it's also fair to talk about accounts payables. Um, so, you know, what is your recommended approach for CFOs to strike the right balance I mean, you know, by getting their customers to actually pay on time, while also, uh, you know, making sure that the the frequency at which a vendor gets paid is a little later, so that you have cash in hand and you can ensure liquidity. I used to jokingly say we pay 30 days after the third phone call. 
And uh, you'd be surprised how many people would, would what? The people actually thought I was serious that that was our payment policy. But you know, it, it is a tricky one because sure, selfishly, if you just look at it in a vacuum, hey, you know, if I can, if I can turn this net 30 into a net 60 and do that over and over again, you know, I can generate basically X dollars worth of interest-free cash, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, why wouldn't you do that? And here's why you wouldn't, because, you know, first of all, you probably shouldn't just be violating your contracts just because you think you can get away with it. It's mm -hmm. not a particularly nice thing to do. Uh, but, you know, putting that aside and putting aside just you want to be a good business partner or person, but you want your suppliers to really, really like you. And again, across the supply chain where, you know, you're just you're running out of shortages, which is one of the things driving inflation, right? So mm -hmm. if you need this component in your in your product and there's a global shortage of and your supply is like, okay, should I go to company A who's continued to pay me right on time? Or should I go to this schmuck who is taking advantage of the situation and is consistently paying me 30, 45 days late? So you don't want to put yourself in a precarious position just to save a little bit of, you know, cash flow. Obviously, mm -hmm. there's a balance in there, right? So, uh, in you know, there's just so many things to think about. But I would say, truthfully, I, I would still sort of pay on a similar patent, certainly to your critical suppliers, the ones that you can't live without. You know, yeah. pay them right on time. Make sure they love you, because mm -hmm. it may matter. You know, down the road. You know, if something's not that critical, sure, you can you know take an extra ten days here and there and and position yourself well. Interesting. So essentially, just like you would segment customers for your receivables, you segment your vendors into buckets as well, depending on how critical they are and accordingly decide what, uh, you know, how frequently or how quickly do you want to pay them? Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, the, the, the ones that are core to your business, you know, pay them, you know, mm -hmm. the, the company that sells you office supplies, if you pay them late and they don't like it, well, you know, guess what? There's 300 other people that will sell you office supplies, right? So, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not, I don't mean that to be flippant or anything like that, but, uh, you know, there, if you just have to pick and choose, just know who you can live without and who you can't live without. The other thing that I wanted to touch upon is a report that actually came, I came across, which is by Gartner. Uh, you know, according to the report, 78% uh, of CFOs are expected to increase or maintain their enterprise digital investments through 2023, even if uh, inflation persists, right? So CFOs clearly uh, do, uh, you know, realize that globe, uh, the global view uh, that the CFOs have in terms of tech being um, as a means to mitigate inflation. Uh, so in your opinion, what role does digitization of CFOs office play in mitigating inflation? Absolutely. There are, you know, a few things that are impactful that you could do is a digital strategy. Because when you think about it, you know, you, you make a digital strategy. So in the long term, you know, it can reduce costs significantly. Mm -hmm. It can, you know, give you more efficiency, increase operational improvement. Uh, it can, you know, increase a lot of cohesion with employees. And a lot of companies still have employees scattered all over the globe more than ever before. And by the way, depending upon your industry, it could actually give you a competitive advantage mm -hmm. as you work with your customers in the market and whatnot. And where else can you invest to get that kind of an ROI, right? So I, you know, I just don't see CFOs wanting to put the brakes on a digitalization strategy at all. 
And, you know, truthfully, the other side of it is a digital strategy can save or redefine your business. Because when you look back at the start of the pandemic, uh, Disney, you know, one of the most well-respected, profitable, powerful companies in the world. Well, at, at the start of their pandemic, their theme parks were closed. People weren't going to the movies. Those are, you know, I, I'm not intimately familiar with Disney, but I, I have to think those are their two biggest sources of revenue is their movies and their theme parks. If you know otherwise, let me know. But, but you know, they were very fortunate. A few months before they had uh, made the investment in Disney Plus, a total mm -hmm. new digital strategy. And because of the pandemic, you know, they were picking up, you know, millions of new subscribers per day for a few mm -hmm. months. And that, I, I don't want to say that it saved Disney, because I think Disney probably would have survived anyway. But boy, it sure made 2020 and 2021 a lot easier to take from a financial perspective when they still couldn't open up their theme parks. So, you know, a digital strategy is critical. Fair enough. I, I think that's really a very good example. Thanks for sharing your opinion. Um, the next thing that I wanted to talk about is uh, CFOs, uh, most of today's CFOs, have only worked in an environment where there has been ultra low interest rate that has encouraged uh, business investments. But in this new setting that we are entering or we've been in for a while, um, you know, CFOs would require to change their approach. What is your opinion on that? Um, yeah, you know, it is true. I mean, you, you know, borrowing has, you know, effectively been free for a lot of CFOs, right? You know, less than 1% interest types of rates. Uh, and whatnot, and now with you know the cost of capital is higher, so you do sort of need to rethink your capital allocation strategy. You know, do, does it make sense to you know to borrow when it's at four percent, five percent, whatever you know it tops out? So it's a total rethinking of how you're going to do things. Mm -hmm. uh, on the other hand, you know if you're generating a lot of cash and highly profitable, I suppose you know it, it's good if you're a saver during a high interest thing. And it creates some opportunities getting back to the supply chain. You know, those things that 2% 10 net 30, you know, maybe you blew that off in the past, but you know, that's actually, a, it's a pretty big savings in the modern world, right? You should sort of look at taking those 2% discounts by paying within 10%, but you know, higher interest rate, it changes everything. It's capital, you know, if capital's higher, companies can't invest as aggressively and as broadly they're going to have a lower risk investment strategy. When I say investment, I mean, you know, expanding globally or uh, new product lines and whatnot. So uh, it just, it reduces opportunities. It unfortunately reduces a lot of innovation and the executive suite sort of needs to refocus on, you know, what can we really do in this high inflationary environment? You know, is this now really the time for us to, you know, launch our Latin American strategy? You know, maybe we should wait till it's a little bit more affordable to do so. It's a, it's, just like inflation, high interest rates change everything. So, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, those things often, uh, you know, fight each other. Right? You want to beat inflation. Supposedly, the best way is for the government to raise borrowing rates. And um, you know, given that inflation's here, and um, CFO offices will have to adopt a new pricing to cope with it. So, let's say if there is a if there is a tech company that wants to increase pricing model of their products. Uh, what should the ideal strategy for the company look like? Yeah, what we've learned is it's in, in the past, companies could basically raise their prices once a year and, mm -hmm. you know, get away with it. You know, most of the time your customers 
won't complain with a pricing strategy, but now just the realities of the way costs are going up, companies, either, they either need their rate prices more quickly than that, or they need to live with, you know, lower margins. And, you know, neither one of those things is good, but, but you know, what we've learned is actually people are getting it. A lot of CFOs are saying, yes, we're actually raising our prices once a quarter. And, um, with minimal customer fallout. A lot of them are like, oh, geez, again. But uh, it's really about communicating with them why you're doing it, your hope that, you know, this is only a temporary thing. And look, we, you know, we've had a good relationship all these years. This is just something I need to do. And customers are kind of understanding that. So, you know, I would say be aggressive in raising your prices. <clears throat> the other thing is there's nothing, you know, the easiest way to justify a price increase is to, you know, offer more features and benefits. And, you know, sometimes it's actually unlocking <coughs> features that they already have. Like I've heard just for example, people only use 6% of the options on their iPhone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if you educate your customers and you can get them to use 20% rather than 6%, they might be willing to pay that extra $50 for their next generation phone. Mm -hmm, absolutely and i think that's a very good strategy to also not hurt uh you know customer relationships that you've had for a very long time specifically amid inflation so are there any other strategies that you'd like to share uh for um you know companies to not hurt their customer relationships yeah i mean the main thing is just just be pro it's not really a strategy as much as steps you can do but mm -hmm. be proactive with your customers Mm -hmm. um, you know, make sure that they understand your decisions. In fact, in uh, the, my first book, uh, Secrets of Rockstar CFOs, one of the CFOs that I interviewed, and she um, she's actually, she's been a CFO to that point like six or seven times. One of the things she told me she did when she first got a CFO job, she would actually reach out to the CFOs at the five biggest customers, or maybe the 10 biggest, I kind of forget, and then some of the critical suppliers. And she didn't fancy herself in selling, but it was simply relationship building. Open up those doors of communications, get to know them, get to understand what their needs are as CFOs and have them get to understand yours. So if you have those relationships in, in place already, mm -hmm. it's fantastic if you can just call, call them directly and say, this is what's going on. You, you know, we've known each other for years now. This is kind of what we have to do. and. You know, usually if you've built up some trust and camaraderie over the years, you, you know, that's going to be an, an easier sell when if you're calling the person for the first time. Hey, I've been your customer for 10 years. It's nice of you to call me, right? It, it's just a different approach when it's than somebody that you're talking to once a quarter, just to check in and say hello. Absolutely. The other customer to any company is its employees, Jack. So with inflation, um, you know, the demand for labor during pandemic recovery was anyway fierce and quit rates were at record high and they still are. So when later labor shortage is combined with declining value of dollar resulting from inflation, uh, it becomes very clear that employee expectations are also changing. Do you think companies should increase wages to attract and retain talent, you know, and account for inflation? Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of think they're going to have to, right? I mean, you know, if you want to, you know, keep productive. So in, there's always sort of that pendulum thing who has the power employees and versus employers. And, you know, right now it's, it's far on the side of employees 
as I can ever remember, and I've been in the workforce since the uh, late 1970s. So, you know, I, I've never seen it like this. And, you know, it's not only from the business perspective of, you know, we need to retain our key people, that type of thing, but there's also just the factor that your employees are fighting inflation at home. And you need to make sure that they feel good about coming into work every day, even if you're not gonna lose them. But you know that you want them to be happy, productive, contributing, and, and feel like what they're doing is important for the company and for their families. And you know, so you know, if we're living in a 10% inflation environment as business leaders, you go home, you're dealing with a similar inflation rate with your groceries and everything else. So I've known people they're um, they're evaluating salaries of their employees every 90 days, and it's just there's a mini review every 90 days, checking in. Uh, okay. Uh, inflation prices have gone up 2.5% um, in the last 90 days. We can't keep you ahead of that, but we're going to give you the 2.5% to make you whole. And we're going to find a way to do that. And, you know, the, the CFOs have told me they're doing this. They have no particular retention. Issue. It is the weird thing, right? Like people, um, people can leave your company to go to a similar company and get a 20% raise. And then by the same token, like there's a lot of data that supports the belief that people who are recently hired are making people who've been part of the company for three to five years loyally. So there's no reason in the world for employees, it, it, that's not fair, but there's there's a lot of incentive for people to leave the company to go to another one, do the exact same job for 20% more. You know, why wouldn't you, right? So, and then, you know, by the way, they may replace someone that goes back to your original company and that you, you both are getting 20% more. Seems like we can solve this problem with, without all the musical chairs. Very nicely put there. Uh, thanks. So, uh, Jack, I think we've talked about employees. We've talked about how to manage customer relationships. The other critical aspect that I think we should definitely touch upon is the suppliers or the vendors that each company has. So with all of the companies that are going under, how should uh, you know the CFO office determine who to partner with uh, and, you know, evaluate the risks associated with it. Sure. And it's difficult. Like, you know, you, you can look up credit reports and D&B and that type of thing. Or if they're a public company, you can get their financials pretty easily. But they do tend to, they, by their nature, they only give historical information, right? You can look at, you know, what a company's financial has been in the past. But you know, if they've never dealt with inflation or, or dealt with losing critical employees or, you know, some of the other issues that we've talked about, you don't really know how they're going to perform in that. So, you know, it is largely about proactive communications. I mentioned that CFO who reached out to the people and she did it on both sides, customers and suppliers. And, you know, just talk to them. It's like, hey, you know, I know you're kind of a small company. Uh, you know, what's your financial position? You know, can we count on you to survive this sort of thing? Because the worst thing in the world that you want, that you could have is customers want to buy your product and you can't make it because two of the 11 critical suppliers you had went belly up or aren't able to produce. So, and then you've got to go to competitors who you've probably ignored for several years. And, you know, not only it's, it's great. Okay, we'll, we'll supply you, but you probably want to be, I treated as the most important customer they have. And they're not going to do that. They've got customers that of their own that have been there five, 10 years, very loyal. Why are they going to move you to the front of line over them? They're not going to. 
So, you know, just kind of keep the communications line open. You know, there may be value to buying from blue chip companies. Great, maybe you can save some money and support your local economy by buying somebody in your community. But maybe that's not the most financially stable entity either. You know, maybe you need to go to, you know, a fortune, you know, 500 type of company that you know is going to weather any storm that comes through. That's a difficult decision to make because you don't want to leave your suppliers just when they need you. Absolutely. And how about supply chain disruptions and with supply chain disruptions, how maybe, you know, your existing supplier is not able to supply you anymore for a lot of reasons that are beyond his control. So in such a scenario, what is the best way to, you know, mitigate through the situation? Probably good for your critical things to have at this point to have multiple suppliers and whatnot. And, you know, there's, I've never been a big fan of hoarding inventory just because it ties up your cash, you know, and if, if you mistake your estimates, it, it can really be problematic. But, you know, with these supply chain disruptions, and again, you know, I've never seen anything like them. I've just never had to deal with them and they haven't existed on the global scale that they do right now. Um, but with potentially, you know, it could be catastrophic for your company. So while, you know, maybe it's not, the wisest thing from a cash management standpoint, you might have to do some things just to protect your downside, you know, because like your point, it, it's not the supplier's fault, right? If, if, if they need, you know, this precious mineral and it's just not available or they're being outbid by bigger companies, whatever it might be, what are they going to do, right? You know, it's, it, it's one of those things they can't control. So control what you can on the critical stuff. And just keep open lines of communication and good relationship. You know, in the, in the long term, you're better off with a single supplier. You'll get better service and pricing. At least that's been my experience. I don't know if an economist would agree with that, but that, that's been the experience I've had. To buy everything from the same person. They know you. They understand you. They like you. They're going to take care of you. But, you know, right now, two, three, four suppliers, you've just got to hedge your bet a little. Fair enough. I think with that, we come to the conclusion of this episode. Jack, thank you so much for sharing your experiences and opinions on different varying questions that I feel CFOs out there would have. We really appreciate you taking the time for this. Yeah, I was glad to do it. And I'm grateful for the opportunity and uh, hope we can do it again at some point. I am looking forward to it again. So thank you so much once again and um, all our listeners out there. I hope this was a very interesting conversation for you. Stay tuned. We'll be back with more.